Amen. Praise the Lord. Lord, we stretch our hands to thee. No other help we know. And if you withdraw yourself from us, whither shall we go? Thank God for another beautiful day on this side of eternity. Things aren't always 100%, but we're doing well, folks. You may have some aches and pains this morning, but thank God you can feel them. Everything may not have fallen right into place this week, but we know who holds this world in the palm of his hand. Every one of us and everything we do, he knows about. Not only does he know about it, he's interested in us. He loves us. He cares for us. And that's enough by itself. Because we live in a world where people don't care about nothing and nobody. So when you know, when you come to understand that we serve a God who genuinely loves us, who doesn't kick us out when we don't keep his will, who doesn't cut us off when we shake a fist of rebellion in his face, but who continues to love us just the same. I tell you, I'm overwhelmed by it because it continues to happen. I've known nothing else about God but that ever since I've known God. He hasn't changed. He's been the same yesterday, today, and he'll remain that way forevermore. And I'm just so glad to know him. I feel sorry for people who don't know God in the pardon of their sins. Something can't be right in your life if you have no relationship with God. I don't care who else you know. Don't care how their resume looks. Don't care how influential they may be among their peers. If you don't know God, you don't really know anybody. I don't know anybody. So today, we come thanking God, first of all, for the privilege of being able to meet unencumbered, without being hindered by the powers that be, without having to show our Christian car. We can meet whenever we get ready. And praise God as much as we want to. And nobody can stop us. But I want you to understand that that does not mean that the time isn't near. When we will find ourselves put on the spot more than ever before to declare whether we will serve God or men. Every one of us will be plagued with that challenge until we come to an understanding of the word of God and where our lives ought to be in him. 
I want to thank God for those who introduced the worship this morning through their participation, through our, our scripture reading, done so wonderfully by Brother McCarroll. The, the prayer that's been ushered on behalf of all mankind, so well done by Brother Prince Jones. And certainly the singing that has been well done this morning from where I was sitting. Of course, I'm not the judge of that. God is the ultimate judge because he knows what's in our hearts. And I don't. I just know the way it sounds to me. And it sounded good to me. I hope it goes up before the Father as a sweet-smelling savor. I thank God for Brother Clark. Brother Clark loves to sing. He loves to sing praises to God. And I think we've learned by now that one of his favorite songs is A Hard-Fighting Soldier. I think he sings that whenever he comes through. But the thing that I really appreciate about it is, you know, sometimes people leave their congregation so they can go somewhere else and won't have to do anything. Mm. But every time Brother Clark is in the area, he comes here and he comes ready to sing because he doesn't know until he enters this building because we don't know he's going to be here. But every time somebody approaches him and says, Brother Clark, it's good to see you this morning. Sing for us today. He's right there. And he accepts it willingly. You know, when I was a child, we used to hide outside until we hear somebody singing. And then we'll tip in and say, I'm here. You know, and there's still people who do that. Who linger around and go to the bathroom and go to the classroom until they hear the services right where they want it to be. And then they ease on up in there. Well, I want you to understand that God knows your heart. God knows your heart. And if you can't ease up in there from the beginning, I don't know if he accepts your service when you do ease up in him. Just wanted you to think about that. I don't know. That's between you and God. But I want to encourage you today to study along with us for a little while from Revelations chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. And certainly these are verses that we are familiar with. Because we've heard sermons down through the years that have played on the words that are used in the passage this morning where the Lord talks about, uh, through John, the Laodiceans being either uh, neither uh, cold or hot, but lukewarm. And I know that I've used those terms to talk about hypocrisy and what the Lord would have us to do, but often we use those terms out of context. We use hot to mean people who are on fire for Jesus. We use cold to mean people who just have no interest in serving the Lord. And lukewarm we use for those who are indifferent. But when you really look at the context and the historical geographical data available to us surrounding the passages that we're going to study today, there is another attitude there. 
that I want to share with you. There's another teaching there that I want to share with you today. The question that comes to mind when we read Revelations chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 in particular, is what is it the Lord means when he talks about or when he says, I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The question is, is he saying that it is better to not believe in God altogether than to be indifferent or lukewarm? Well, those are among the questions we want to answer this morning as we talk about Revelations 3, 14 through 19 under the topic, hot, cold, or lukewarm. For reasons I've already stated, this passage is probably one of the most misunderstood and misapplied in all of Scripture. And the reason is because we use those words, hot, cold, and lukewarm, to play on the words to teach a lesson. And there are some lessons to be used and to be learned in that context. But this morning, we want to look at it in the context of the verses that are there. We'll remember that in the book of Revelations, which is one of the most unique and intriguing books in all of the scriptures, a lot of people shy away from reading Revelation because they feel that it's mystical and twistical and, and apocalyptic and they can't really understand it. But Revelations is one of the most beautiful books in all of the scriptures. Because what it does in essence is it gives us encouragement when we think God is not winning the battle. Sometimes you need to read over in the back of the book and see how it ends. Don't get caught up if you get discouraged before you get to the back of the book. Turn over to the last book and read what the end is going to be. Because the Bible says in the final analysis of all things, after we have had the battle of Armageddon and the forces of evil and the forces of good will square off that God will be victorious. Now, I know a lot of folks don't like to hear that because it's like, well, you done ruined the end of the story for me. But this is a story that we ought to love to read about in terms of how it's going to end up. I don't care what's happening in the world. In the final analysis, good will triumph over evil. God will triumph over the devil. And life will triumph over death. In the book of Revelation. To this very end, each church was exhorted in different matters and in various ways. We've talked before about the seven churches of Asia. 
And we know from reading the book of Revelations that each church was exhorted in different manners and in various ways. The church in Laodicea is the church to which Jesus gave the hot, cold, lukewarm rebuke. But a careful reading of Jesus' admonition reveals that this particular church had become focused on riches and wealth with pride and spiritual complacency being the result. Because, Jesus said, because you have become rich, you've gotten beside yourself. Because you think you don't need anything. You think you don't need me anymore. You become rich and prosperous. And as such, you've forgotten that you are blind and wretched and naked in my sight. So we want to this morning find out what it is the Lord is really saying to the church at Laodicea and us as well. We do know this. When the Bible speaks of being hot or cold, when we look at verse number 14, the Lord says through John, I know, uh, verse 15 rather, I know your works. I know your deeds. And that's what he's talking about when he talks about you being hot or cold. Not in terms of the way you think, but in terms of your deeds. The Lord says through John, it is your deeds that are the problem. In order for us to understand this better and make the application for us today, it's important that we understand the historical background of the city of Laodicea in the first century. Those conditions and that historical background goes like this. The city of Laodicea was located between the cities of Aeropolis and Colossae. Aeropolis on one side, Colossae on the other. Aeropolis had a spring, though both of the cities were known for their pure waters, Aeropolis had a spring flowing with hot medicinal water that people would get into if they were trying to cure some medicinal problem. Colossae, on the other hand, had pure water, but the water flowing through Colossae was cold and refreshing mountain spring water. On the other hand, Laodicea's water was dirty, lukewarm 
word. So, the audience listening to John at the time this was written would interpret John saying, uh, you are neither hot nor cold with hot or cold being good. Not hot good and cold bad, but hot and cold being good. That's why he goes on to say, I wish you were either hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And it's said that when visitors went to the city of Laodicea, time they tasted the water, they spat it out. Because it wasn't good for anything. So the water in Aeropolis was good for medicinal purposes. The water in Colossae was good for refreshing purposes. But the water in Laodicea was good for nothing but to make you sick. What's the application for that? Well, are you under that definition and context? Are you hot, cold, or lukewarm? Are you helping the church medicinally? Are you helping the church by refreshing it? Or are you making the church sick? Because you look warm. It seems that the more we get from God, the less we want to give. And then when we give, it's the very thing we don't want. It's either the very thing we don't want or can do without or won't miss that we give. That's treating God in a lukewarm manner. To be neither medicinal nor refreshing, but sickening is not acceptable to God. Now, I'm going to move through this quickly. So I want you to listen to these points, and I want you to think about them in light of yourself. In life, we often come across people who we would rather not have do anything for us because we've learned that they're not going to do it right. They're going to cut corners wherever they can. They'll give you a half-hearted effort. They'll paint the room and leave the trim undone. They'll wash the car and leave the tires dirty. They'll give, but always what they have left, they just can't bring themselves to do anything the way it ought to be done. You know anybody like that? My grandmother used to call people like that just trifling. Just trifling. I don't care what you give them to do, they're going to have to do it. And this is really what, what, what Jesus is using John to express 
in Revelation. Make the distinction between those who are hot, cold, and lukewarm in the church. Laodicea was lukewarm. They had gotten fat. They were prosperous. They were living good. They were eating good. So they think we don't need God. And how many of us today feel that same way? God has opened the windows of heaven and flooded down gifts on us. And our response to that is the more he gives us, the further we move away from him. But we still got our hand out. But we want to love God from a distance. Some folk are just not going to do it right. But I'm going to tell you this. It's difficult to do with excellence things you don't want to do in the first place. Would you agree with that? You may do it, but you're not going to do it with all your might. You're not going to do it in an excellent fashion. Because it's difficult to do with excellence what you really don't want to do in the first place. So whether we're talking about mowing the lawn or washing the dishes or ministering to the poor or bearing the burdens of the weak or worship and service to God, if we really don't have a burning desire to do it, we're not going to do it well. We'll give it a half-hearted effort, which, re which will result in a half-hearted product or deed. Maybe some of us live there today. Are you doing things that bring you no satisfaction in the body? Well, ask yourself, are you doing it because you're hot, cold, or lukewarm? Which one of those identifies you? So I'm going to identify some things this morning that will lead us to our conclusion, but there are questions that you need to consider. The hot water in Aeropolis was good for medicinal purposes. If you are hot in the church today, you ought to be able to care for the physical and spiritual ailments of the body. In other words, that's where your talents lie. There are people in the church who've been given talents to speak to every issue in the church. And in the context of Revelations 3, the medicinal needs of those who are needful in the body should be given or attended to by those who are red hot for the Lord. That simply means I'm going to focus on the medicinal needs of the congregation. Well, what are you talking about, Brother Anthony? The medicinal needs. Well, caring for the physical and spiritual ailments of the body. Those who are older, sickly, widowed, are orphans. You know, James chapter 1, verse 27 teaches us that true religion, Pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father, is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep one's self unspotted from the world. 
That's true, pure religion. And it has to do with visiting the fatherless and the widows. So there have to be people in the church, and God has placed people here who have that kind of personality. They extend themselves to those who are sickly and those who are senior citizens in the body and those who are older and those who are widowed and those who are orphaned, those who are weak and powerless and disadvantaged and poor physically and spiritually. There are groups of people here whose talents allow them to speak to these medicinal needs, if you will, of the body. And then you have those who are cold. Cold means you do refreshing things. Not that you turned off from God altogether, but cold is good here. In Colossae, the waters were cold and refreshing. There, there's a group of people in the church whose talents are along this line. You can refresh people better than a whole lot of other people. Well, what does refreshing mean? Well, in, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, the Bible talks about us as members of the body continuing to do things that spur one another on to love and good deeds. So where it's hot is taken care of or speaking to medicinal needs, coal is speaking to refreshing the body. Every chance you get. Now, that's not where you are. Leave that alone. If you're not a good refresher, then you may need to stick with medicinal. And if you're not a good medicinal, you may need to stick with refreshing. But for God's sake, don't get them confused. Everybody can't encourage everybody. Some folks don't know how to encourage anybody. Go to visit people who are sick and their way of encouraging, you know, my aunt had the same thing you got and she died. Well, how is that encouraging anybody? Well, I know the doctor said you got six weeks to live, but they told my daddy the same thing, and he lived three more years. Oh. Some of us don't need to visit folks because we don't know how to be refreshing. It's not our gift. Everybody doesn't have the same gift. There are some who can refresh. There are others who can handle and speak to medicinal needs. And then there are those who are lukewarm. Spurring one another on to good works. Well, how do you do that, Brother Anthony? That's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. How do we spur one another on to good works? Tell you what. Try these on for size. Before you leave today, get to somebody that you feel is doing a good job and say what? You're doing a fine job. Isn't that refreshing? Folks, don't tell me that's not refreshing. If somebody finds you through the crowd and grabs your hand and says, I just wanted you to know before you leave today. 
that you're doing a fine job. That's refreshing. Okay, something else. You're making a difference in this congregation. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't that refresh you? If somebody came to you and said, you know, you're really making a difference in this congregation. How refreshing is that? That'll make you go home walking 10 feet tall. Say, boy, somebody is seeing what I'm doing and appreciating. When's the last time you said that to somebody? Mm -hmm. Here's another. I look to you for strength and encouragement. Isn't that refreshing? For somebody to say, you know, I really didn't feel like coming today. But when I thought about seeing you, Oh, Lord, I got on up and put my clothes on because you are a source of strength and encouragement for me. That's refreshing. And that's what the Hebrews writer says we must continue doing, spurring one another on to love and good works. You know what it is to spur something when those cowboys spurred that horse. He raised up them. He ready to do some running. Well, Paul says, consider how you may spare one another on to love and to good work. That's refreshing work. And then it's refreshing when you can say to somebody, you are my physical role model. You are my physical role model. I look up to you. Doesn't mean you're leaving the Lord out. But you know, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So it's all right for us to be each other's role model. In other words, we need to get in the habit of saying good things to each other that refresh each other. And then one I appreciate. I love to say that to people. I appreciate you. That's my favorite. Everybody here, I think if I'm shaking your hand or hugged your neck, you've heard me say to you one time or another, I appreciate you. And see, we don't say that enough to each other because we tie appreciation in with how much folk got. We think that people who got everything they need don't need to be appreciated. But appreciation has nothing to do with what you already have. It's appreciation for your works sake. We ought to appreciate God and he owns everything. So it's really not about what you got. It's about appreciating somebody, respecting them, holding them in high esteem for their works sake. And then finally we talk about lukewarm. Lukewarm living is often expressed in statements like, I don't care. Those are three of the most dangerous words in the English language. I don't care. And you can attest to that. If you pull somebody aside and told them something or tried to pull their coattail or something, and when you finish, they say, I don't care. You just came out the bathroom and got toilet paper all over your shoes and going through that. You know what I'm saying? And somebody stopped you and said, you got paper on your shoe. And you I don't care.
Your shirt is hanging out in the back. I don't care. The Lord doesn't want you living that way. I don't care. You think I care for real? Dangerous attitude. And especially in the church. You ask people when they going to start doing something. When they going to be a member of the body for real. I don't care. You know what we're trying to do? I don't care. For the lukewarm, I don't care is a battle cry and a defense mechanism for getting nothing done or not being touched by any situation or challenge in life. That's contrary to our teaching, though. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, the scriptures teach us that whether we eat or drink or whatever it is we do, we ought to do all things to the glory and honor of God. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, the same thing. Whatever you do, do it like you're doing it for Jesus. You're going to have do it for Jesus. Lukewarm deeds include service rendered without the best effort. Have you ever done something for the church or for the Lord and didn't put forth your best effort in doing it? Just half did it, just to get it done. Half-hearted deeds that lack full commitment. Rushed deeds done as quick as possible to get it over with. That's a surefire sign that you don't want to do something when you rush it. Well, let me go on and get this done. And just as sure as you rush it, you undo something. You leave something undone. Deeds done out of duty rather than desire. The deeds that you do for the church, are they out of desire or are they out of duty? In other words, this is what people expect of me, so this is what I'm going to do. And don't ask me to do any more than is expected of me. So you got a problem if you do something out of duty rather than desire. Because that suggests if you didn't know about the duty, that you wouldn't have a responsibility to do it. And nothing could be further from the truth. Duty also suggests that if we could take whatever it is you're doing out of here, you'll stop doing it. Some people come to church because Hebrews 10.25 says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Right? So if we could take that out of there, some of, some of us would stop coming to church. Well, it ain't in there no more, so hey. That's a sign that you're doing something out of duty. If it wasn't written in here, I ain't doing it. And if I haven't read it, I'm not doing it. And that's why some folks don't want to know the truth. Because they know that once they know it, it makes them accountable to God. So the less I know, the less I have to do. I wish it worked like that, but it doesn't. God is going to hold every one of us responsible. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. 
So deeds done out of duty rather than desire are not acceptable with God. People who say to you stuff like, it was good, but it could have been better. If that's not a lukewarm answer, I don't know what it is. You don't know whether to swallow that or spit it out. You did a good job, but it could have been better. Let me tell you what sounds better. You did a good job. Now I'm going to show you how the next time you do it, ooh, it's going to be even better than the last time. That does sound better than saying to somebody, you did a good job, but it could have been better. Mm-hmm. In light of these things, The question this morning is, are you good for the church? Or do you make the church sick? I'm going to leave that question with you this morning and let you answer that one.